Hey friends, this is Brenna Blaine and you are listening to season four of Can I Say That? Hey friends, something fun today, a little bonus content. Today you'll be hearing a sermon that I got to preach at Shine Conference in Vancouver, Washington. And hey, if you are a pastor looking for a guest speaker for a Sunday morning or you run a conference and you would like to partner with me, I'm currently taking speaking requests for 2024 and 2025. You can reach out directly to me at www.brennablaine.com. As we end this conference, we are going to be in John 15, verses 1 through 6. And I would love for you to open up your Bible there. It will be on the screen as well. And if you are a note taker, I would love to get your pens ready. John 15 says, I am the true vine, and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that has been thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So just a really easy piece of scripture for us today. In 1998, A young father was at home with his two children when he decided instead of staying home with his kids like he normally would do while his wife worked, he introduced his children to one of his favorite pastimes, fishing. And so being at a time before cell phones were common, he loaded up the kids and the gear and he drove to his wife's place of work first. Um, to just drop by and say, hey, we're not, we're not leaving. I'm, I'm going to take the kids fishing, so don't worry if you get home. And we're not there. We're fishing. To which the wife had one reply, don't let anyone fall in. And with those instructions, he happily agreed that it was a good, uh, a good plan. He bid his wife goodbye, drove to his favorite fishing spot, set up the kids with fishing poles, and enjoyed a fairly, after, a fairly easy afternoon of fishing with his kids, until I fell into the water. (laughs) So not wanting to give up his favorite hobby and having very little time to do it, my dad needed to come up with a way that he could fish without him or my mom worrying that we would end up in the water. And finally he gets this idea and he reassures my mom that everything is fine and he, I think he took the film camera along so that later in the month, you know, when you would get your film developed, he could show my mom a picture and and show her how he secured us. And the picture is of my brother and I quite literally tied to trees. And for so much of my life that I spent hearing the word of God, I thought that was an accurate picture of remaining in Christ. That once you say yes to Jesus, you are bound, fastened to him with unshakable effort 
But can I tell you that when we read John 15, that is not the picture we are given. The problem with that thought is that when Jesus has to tell his disciples to remain in me, it's an invitation. While salvation happens in an instant, sanctification, becoming more like Christ, is, something that hap- uh, is not something that happens without effort. And it is not a picture of effort like saying, I go to church every weekend, so I must be remaining in Christ. Or I lead a small group, so I'm obviously remaining in Christ. It is not a prescriptive checklist or else the Pharisees would have been upheld as the greatest of those remaining in him. But instead we see that Jesus speaks most harshly to the religious leaders and gives them many warnings like we see at the end of this passage. If we aren't remaining in Christ and bearing fruit useless in our embodiment, what else is there than to be tossed into the fire? And so we see that the call to remain is one, very serious, and two, it's a concern of the heart, not a checklist, because we all know a checklist can be done passively. And you see, the call to remain in Christ is not one that can be done passively. This weekend, our theme of focus is shine. And if you say that in any secular context, and even some Christian context, and and there would be this sense of self-promotion or inner power or us just being the best that we can be, but let me tell you right now that shining in the Christian world, shining as a devoted follower of Christ isn't an act of self-created glowing. So the the goal isn't to remain in Christ so that we can shine, but rather remain in Christ so that he may be reflected through us. Between the chapters of John 13 and John 17, we are given a glimpse of some deeply intimate moments of Jesus with his closest followers, which certainly include the 12 disciples and some women. And as you read between the end of chapter 13 to the, to the end of chapter 16, the main point of Jesus' conversation with the disciples is to tell them of the advantages of the departure of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That is, Jesus' entire goal within this conversation is to say, actually, It is good that I am going, and who is coming for you will change everything. And so in John 15, Jesus is face to face with his closest friends saying perhaps one of the most helpful and yet difficult things he could say. Because of God's great plan, because of what I I am about to do and the coming power of the Holy Spirit, you can dwell in me. Every choice that you make, every action that you do, every word on, on your tongue, all of it can be a product of me because I give you real life. But if you are unwilling to be in me and you are unwilling 
to endure the pruning that at times is hard but always good, you won't have life and therefore will be cast away. So the question we are going to be focusing on today, and if you are a note taker, throw this at the top of your notes. If Christ has to tell his closest friends to remain, what keeps us from remaining in Christ? Because with this, uh, this gardening analogy, we understand that in order for something good to grow and to bear fruit and to remain alive in a garden, Weeds need to be pulled, soil needs to be tended to, and sprouts need to be watered. That is, there are things in our life that we need to weed out. And there are spiritual practices that need to be brought in. Because when we are passive in our remaining, when we aren't tending to and checking in on the weeding and, and the watering, when we are complacent about remaining in Christ, there is a subtle but persistent drift that the world has on our souls, and it carries us when we are not anchored. Remaining is an active verb and an invitation. Thousands of years ago, um, Lindsay touched on this last night, God called one man and said to him, all of the people on earth will be blessed through you. And through this one man came the nation of Israel known as God's people, the chosen ones. And while they enjoyed a short time of freedom and prosperity in Egypt where they had settled, a new king came up and quickly enslaved the entire nation. Living in poverty, under oppression, the people longed for and cried out for a deliverer. In Exodus 3 verse 7, the God of the Bible finds one man who he rescued then watched run from his past life, and then literally lit up a bush into flames to get his attention, saying, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. And through the use of a stuttering 80-year-old man, God gathers his people and pulls them out from under their oppressor, literally dividing a red sea in front of their very eyes so that they could walk between walls of water to freedom. And it is on the other side of, the, of that red sea that they say, great, we're safe, but... We have no food, and this is a desert. As if they had no memory of who plucked them up out of Egypt and how he made a way for them. But God, in his deep graciousness, tells Moses, I will rain food from heaven. After our friends experienced sustenance falling from the air, we are told in Exodus 16.35 that this supernatural buffet lasted the entire 40 years that the Israelites were in the wilderness. But just a few months later, after that first encounter with this miracle meal, something jarring happens. 
Exodus 32, 1 says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron, giving into the request, collects jewelry and other metals to melt down and to make into an idol that they can worship. And so I want to ask you to just imagine something with me. Can you imagine that a sojourner is wandering through the wilderness and comes up on this Israelite camp while they're all sitting around worshiping a cow made of old earrings, and the sojourner asks, where can I buy flour and water and honey? Because this sojourner just wants supplies to make food for themselves. And maybe the Israelites would have said, oh, we don't have supplies, because God feeds us every morning. And the sojourner says, oh, the cow God? Maybe some Israelites would realize in that instant, but maybe some wouldn't. But the point is, once the daily need for food was met, it was easy to forget God. Once the daily need for food was met, it was easy to forget God. Once their hungry bodies were satisfied, even after all that he did, years upon years of crying out and suffering, receiving a deliverer, witnessing the plagues, surviving the Passover, walking through walls of water, and the holy slipped their mind. We do this too. So the first point is forgetting our creator keeps us from remaining. Because when we forget God, something else will make its way onto the throne of our hearts. And it sounds so obvious when we say it out loud, but what's not obvious is the transition from perceived need to worldly comfort. When we are sitting in the wake of our met needs, not yet in a season of obvious desperation, we tend to become passive. Christianity thrives on the pendulum swing of experience. We talk about the ways that God has shown up in the miracles, in the way that he has comforted us in great loss, but what about when life is neither of those things? We aren't often drawn to worship or prayer for the pole isn't strong. But might we be allowing these in-between times to lead us into unrecognized disobedience and a life of less? We often, uh, Jesus calls us to remain, and in some translation it says, abide. And we often ignore the command to abide in Christ when we're standing between the peaks and the valleys. It is not natural for us to reach beyond ourselves when we feel like we have enough or when culture normalizes our non-glaring sin. The passive remarks, the mindless consumption, and the micro-behaviors that quite literally scream, I am my own authority. I'm looking at myself at that one. 
you can start to see the implications of what it might mean for us to give this flat land over to Jesus. I believe it is messy and deeply concentrated work when I imagine the Holy Spirit. I, I see him wearing rubber gloves and a hazmat suit when I invite him into my daily chaos. But it is in those places when the need doesn't seem to be present that we can solidify our dependence on Christ. So if a weed in our garden is forgetting God and being distracted by idols, the watering to be done is choosing daily remembrance, especially in the mundane. In the book of James, Jesus' brother James is writing not to a specific church, but to all Christians in the body of Christ. And towards the last part of the first chapter, he gives a piece of advice that I believe could obliterate all the weeds that we have in our garden beds. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into perfect law give, that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The message version says, do not fool yourself into thinking you are a listener when you do anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. And that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. I love that it says revealed counsel of God, the free life. You see, there is no freedom in Christ without submission to Christ. There is no freedom in Christ without submission to Christ. The watering to be done when you are struggling to remember Jesus daily, the watering to be done, the start is to ask the Holy Spirit, where might I just be listening and not actually doing? Maybe it's a, it's a prayer saying, God, I believe you can change my language, but I haven't actively invited you to do that. Would you do that? Maybe it's a prayer saying, God, I confess that you can take my fears and anxieties, but I have not actually surrendered the things that make me feel this way. Would you lead me to do that? Maybe it's, God, I know you can change my thoughts to be ones that honor yours, but when I start to entertain them, I'd rather not take them captive. Would you change my heart? Ask the Holy Spirit, where might I just be listening and not doing? It is a revealing question to ask because it is also risky. Humanity has a knack 
for wanting to edit the Bible according to our own wants. That is one aspect of this scripture, but another is a simple command, do what it says. Four words, that's it. And I'm sure if James were here today, he would look at us in our churches, some plagued with lukewarm bodies and only half-pierced hearts, and preach the exact same message while we are busy looking around for the secret to being a people who cling well to God in the ups and downs. James is holding up a giant neon sign that many of us would like to ignore, if we're being honest. Which brings us to our second point. Not knowing God's word keeps us from remaining. Or choosing to ignore God's word and abstaining from good biblical teaching. Um, I will never forget about a year ago, I sat uh, at a conference for Bible teachers and Dr. Charlie Dates from Chicago was speaking. And at one point he read Hebrews 4.12 and then he exclaimed, I believe God's word is fresher than tomorrow morning's newspaper. And as the room erupted, I have to admit, I was sitting there thinking, but what does that mean? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, when the author of Hebrews tells us that the word of God isn't static, but it is operational, powerful, and living, that they are keying us into a truth about the Bible that is untrue of any other book that exists in the world. And the picture of a sword isn't meant to evoke a military reference, but like a butcher or surgeon's knife giving us a picture of careful and precise precision that can separate even soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. It is the point of this picture painted by words that the author wants us to understand. The Bible is a tool that if submitted to, can cut through our flesh, remove the rot that sin has created, and leave us on a path becoming more like Christ. Not only that, but the Bible gives us a freedom that sets us apart from the rest of the entire world. Because instead of having to discern or judge ourselves and others, we get to allow the word of God to do that. It will never, ever be about our own knowing or our own strength that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It is simply about laying ourselves down to Christ and his faithful word. When we do not have a steady diet of hearing and understanding the word of God, we are left with no chance to remain in Christ because we won't know how. And there are some of us, and I, I, I really, I struggled with putting this part in, but I felt convicted to. There are some of us in this room, and I say this with the utmost grace and the strongest admonishment. 
that we're sitting weekend after weekend in churches that are producing anemic believers because they aren't willing to teach the pruning parts of God's word. They're ignoring verses about justice and the oppressed. And they're skipping over verses about sexual sin. And they're silent on the passages that include topics like rape or submission or even being known for the way that we are supposed to love each other. Because it is easier and much more comfortable not to submit to the pruning. But halfway through John 15, in verse 2, Jesus says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The life-giving water here is submission to the word. If resisting or not knowing God's word is a weed that literally brings death, laying down our rights and our comfort and our own understanding in exchange for God's through the written word that he has given us is the life-giving water that nourishes to grow up strong in Christ. Maybe you're saying, Brenna, (laughs) I'm bad with the Bible. I'm bad at remembering and understanding. I'm not a theology person. Or maybe you're saying, oh, what if it's me who needs to find a new church? How, How will I know if that's me? Or maybe you're saying, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad that's not my church. I'm glad I've got it figured out. This last warning is for all of us in both of those groups. And that is not listening to the Holy Spirit will keep us from remaining. Whether it is because we are ignoring the Holy Spirit or we do not yet know his voice. Before Jesus starts having this conversation about remaining with his friends, he breaks some news to them. He says pretty explicitly, I'm about to leave. And understandably, some of the disciples start to feel some anxiety, while others feel a great amount of like, hey, I got this, I'm loyal, Peter. (laughs) And we see both groups fall short. Because the anxious person is thinking, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out. And the confident person is thinking, I've got it figured out. Both are self-focused. And Jesus crashes both of those realities with something so much better. And he says in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying to the anxious, you have someone beyond yourself who will show up. And he is saying to the prideful, you need someone beyond yourself. And this conversation continues And then he gives them the invitation to remain. And moments before Jesus is arrested, he prays one more time for his friends. And then in John 17, he actually prays for those of us in this room. 
But first, he gives one last word of encouragement. And I love this conversation because if you read John, uh, the chapters 13 through 17, Jesus knows. If you can look for it, Jesus knows, I have to drill this truth into their brains. And he comes back to the Holy Spirit again and says in John 16, 13, when the, tr- the spirit of truth comes, not if, but when, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. If we are saying yes to Jesus, we don't get to say no to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to teach us actively what what Christ has taught to remind us of the truth that Jesus has imparted and to guide us. I want you to see what it looks like when a community of Jesus followers doesn't actively remain in Christ. Later on, after the birth of the church, Paul is writing to a church home in Corinth that is dealing with a lot of cultural norms that Christ has called sin. And there are people in the church that their lives used to be infiltrated with cultural norms. And there are still some that are saying, wait a second, can't sex just be like what everyone else says it is? And can't our relationships just be like the ones that we see around us? Because they have forgotten God in the mundane. So something else is on the throne of their hearts. And they haven't been devoted to the word of God, so they aren't receiving freedom through submission. They are struggling. And Paul cuts to the explicit truth. That is, hey, sex outside of marriage, that is one man and one woman for life, Christ has called sin. And refusing mutual submission is disobedience. But before Paul reminds them of the word proclaimed by the king, he primes them for this conversation by saying, guess what? I am not some big shot man full of wisdom. I truly have nothing to offer within myself, but what I do offer, I offer with the help of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 13, the message version says, but you've seen and heard because God by his spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. The spirit, not content to flit around on the surface, dives into the depths of God and brings out what God planned all along. Whoever knows what you are thinking and planning except yourself, the same with God, except that he not only knows what he's thinking, but he lets us in on it. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation that he is giving us. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or by going to school. We learned it from God who taught us person to person through Jesus. 
and we're passing it on to you in the same firsthand personal way. We are only fully understood by the Spirit of God. Not even ourselves can fully know or trust our hearts. In Jeremiah 17.9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things. In Hosea 10.2, it says the hearts of the people are fickle. And in Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own, un- own understanding. We have no chance at remaining in Christ if it is done by our own strength or our own understanding. The weeds here that we can get so used to having in our garden beds is self-reliance. We have to dig and rid our lives of self-reliance. I'm going to invite the band back up, and I want to acknowledge that was a lot. (laughs) There was a lot there. And so I just want to end by tying it up and by asking, have you noticed the gifts that can bat the things that keep us from remaining? God gave us his son who is to be on the throne of our hearts. God gave us his word that is to be known and studied and bound to our hearts. And Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit who is alive and working today to guide us and teach us. I don't know um, what the Holy Spirit has been doing in this room while I've been talking, but I know he has been at work because he is faithful. And we're, uh, we are about to step into a time of worship. It's our last time of worship in this conference. And worship is not just about singing, it's about responding. Responding to what God has done and responding to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And maybe um, you felt some tension at some point during this session. And can I tell you right now that Satan would love for nothing more than for you to ignore the tension and to just leave without taking action. But because Jesus is who he says he is, you can respond. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness from someone. Um, And stepping into that lobby and making a phone call during worship feels like the scariest thing. Or maybe because this is a room full of women in Clark County, that person you need to ask for forgiveness from is in this room. And you're thinking, if I get up, everyone will know. Everyone will see. Let me tell you, the freedom that we have in Christ is unlike any other. He will strengthen you. He will go with you, and it is not about your appearance. It's not about a checklist. It's about your heart.
Maybe you have a choice to make to no longer be passive in your remaining. Maybe that means finding a new place to call church, or maybe that means having a hard conversation with your pastor, just asking them honestly and graciously, hey, I've noticed it feels like we don't teach certain parts of the, of the Bible. Can you explain to me why that is? Or maybe I'm missing something. And that feels like the scariest conversation you can have. But the Holy Spirit will go with you You need only be still. And maybe you're like me. And you struggle in your parenting. And it's every day. And you think, well, I'm fine. I'm not the most joyful, but it's fine. (laughs) But then you remember Life with Christ is meant to turn you into a different embodiment. And joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And I don't want to be pruned, but I need to be pruned because what picture of Jesus' love to us turning our hard hearts tender, what could that picture be like to our children? We all have something, but we also all have Christ. Would today be marked by a choice to actively remain in him who has already done all the work? Let's pray. Lord, I don't know what you are doing in this room, but I know you are doing something And so I ask for strength, I ask for peace, I ask for hope, I ask for reconciliation to break out in Clark County. Lord, we have been given glimpses of revival around the world right now. And there are so many people who are saying, wow, that's so great, I wish that could happen here. And Lord, I know your spirit is saying, It will and it can. And I want to be bold in my prayers and ask for revival to break out in Clark County. And I want to be brave and I want to step out and I want to sound a little charismatic because Jesus was charismatic and I want to say, let it start here today. Lord, let us not walk out of this room passively, but put a message on, a, on our hearts and a fire under our seats so that we cannot hold still. Lord, would you continue ministering during this time of worship? Amen.